Welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobayan, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip-hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with the grit right now. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to appreciate beauty, no matter what the mood is you're in, no matter what the weather is outside, that for just a moment, you find something beautiful, something that warms your heart, something that makes you feel good. And of course, if that mood of yours is less than stellar, that's okay. Just accept it be friends with it, and just look around and say, hey, is there anything pretty that I can appreciate? Something that might shift my mood a little bit, something that might shift even my perspective and see what happens. But you can always turn to the breath. Just take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Oh, so good. So, so, so good. Okay. So I'm going to start our episode with a poem from The Gift, as we always do. Um, I also want to tell you that we've got some new energy, new awesomeness, new branding for the podcast coming up. Um, Hopefully next week, we're still working on a few uh, loose ends behind the scenes, but I'm so excited, so pumped up for the new intro and outro music, the graphics. Oh my God, so excited and excited about adding a little more edge to the conversations that I have with my guests, as well as any offerings I provide for for you here. How is that for my articulation, huh? (laughs) Okay, so here we go, Hafez, and let's see which poem comes forward. Today, she responded. That's the poem today, she responded. The bird's favorite songs you do not hear for their most flamboyant music takes place when their wings are stretched above the trees and they are smoking the opium of pure freedom. It is healthy for the prisoner to have faith that one day he will again move about wherever he wants, feel the wondrous grit of life less structured, find all wounds, debts stamped, canceled, paid. I once asked a bird, How is it that you fly in this gravity of darkness? She responded, love lifts me. (sighs) Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. I love that, that, that final stanza, that final phrase where the bird turns and says, love lifts me. So love is that thing that keeps us going. Now, when I say love, 
It doesn't necessarily mean love for another person or love received from another person, not necessarily external love. The love that lifts us is the love that we are. We are love made manifest. We embody love. And so when we can remember that, that is what lifts us up. That's what's keeping us going when we come across challenges, when we come across moments of despair or desperation. Love is the thing that keeps us going. And it takes practice to tap into the love that we are, the love that we have within us. And so often we go externally, we reach outward and look outward for love, right? We look to other people, you know, whether it's a romantic partner or friends or relationships with family members or, you know, um, chosen family, soul family. Those are the people that help us find the love within us. Because what we see through our eyes, the world around us, we actually created that. We created those circumstances because that is what is within us. So the environment or the the climate, we'll say, of your internal world gets made manifest in the external world. So, for example... If you feel like a million dollars on the inside, you know, you ever get that phrase where people are like, I feel like a million bucks. Usually that means like they feel so fantastic, so awesome. They feel so rich inside, high vibration, like nothing could go wrong, top of the world. Yes. And when you feel like a million bucks, don't you notice that things flow your way? You're driving and you hit all the green lights. That always feels so good. You're like, yes, you know, you go to your favorite coffee shop and there's no line, you know, it's, it's like the morning rush and you're expecting a big line and nobody's there. Like you just missed the rush or the rush hasn't come yet. And you can just walk right up, grab your coffee and go. And you're like, yes, this is flowing. I love it. That is the reflection of your inner world on the outside. Of course, there are exceptions to this rule, but that brings in the larger question of like, what is reality? And today I actually, I don't know if I want to get into that because that's a whole big philosophical discussion that I actually would have more fun doing with another person, you know, kind of in conversation, bantering back and forth. So maybe I'll, I'll get a guest on the show and we can talk about what is reality, you know, what is the reality that we create around us and how we perceive it and how is that a manifestation of our inner world? So good. What I want to do is actually talk about a piece or an example of this, maybe. So I've been in conversation with a few people, um, it's, it's not even like people I know specifically. It's just, I can't even remember who, who said these things to me, but on more than one occasion, there have been white women who find out what I do. Right. And so what I do is that I offer 
support and healing for women of color, specifically for writers and and creatives, but for the most part, all women of color. So if you are looking to heal trauma, if you're looking to move through creative blocks, if you're looking to get rid of imposter syndrome, if you're looking to heal from the, the heaviness of racial trauma, of always having to be on, of always having to measure out your words and how you carry yourself and what you dress and how you dress, sorry, and how you do your hair. That's my world. That's my offering. Like I help you through that. I help you undo all the conditioning so that you can really embody the fullest, most authentic version of you in this material world. It's not just be you on the inside. It's be you on the inside and then broadcast it out physically in the external three-dimensional world. And when I say that part about I only serve women of color, there are, or there have been white women and white guys too, who are like, well, why are you limiting it to that market? Like, aren't you limiting yourself? And what about the rest of us? Like, why would you keep us from your gifts? Why would you not share them? And I'm like, ah, (laughs) oh, that question, that question. So here's my answer. First of all, white folks have all the resources they want and need more than they could ever want and need. So there's that, right? Like they want healing specifically for, I don't know, any kind of trauma. They can just go get it with therapy or whatever. I mean, access to healthcare is very easy. Access to resources for white folks, very easy. Normally or usually they don't have to second guess what they're saying or sharing with their provider. Um because white folks hear other white folks, right? And then there is the matter of why are you going to keep your gifts from us? Well, because I feel more comfortable sharing my gifts with people who are like me, because I feel like I have come this far in my healing journey in my spiritual and personal development, that I know what it's like to be where my clients are now. I know exactly what, it, what it's like to be the only brown person in the room, to be the only woman of color in a meeting in, a, in corporate America in some random office somewhere. I know what that's like. I know how much that sucks. I know how we have to figure out when to speak, how to speak, what tone to use, and then be ready to not be heard. And so because I know that from firsthand experience, then I can offer a path through that for others, a path that leads to a full expression of who you truly are without feeling like you have to brace yourself for whatever repercussions might come your way. You're like, look, listen, this is my truth. 
I'm going to share it. This is what I want. This is what I need. You don't like it too bad, you know, and if you're going to fire me from this stupid corporate job, then you might have a lawsuit on your hands. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to encourage lawsuits as the answer to things, but you know, they have employment laws in place for this kind of thing, right? They're trying, when I say they, I mean the system is trying in some respects to provide some equality, to provide some sort of, I guess, safety net for, um, to fight discrimination, right? So I just think about this because recently I was, I was asked this question, like, why only people of color? Why only women of color? You know, like I kind of take offense to that as a white woman. And I'm like, oh my God, really? (laughs) And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, well, first you don't understand what it's like to be a woman of color, let alone a person of color and how we need to be on alert all the time. So I explained that to her briefly because I didn't want to do the emotional labor. And she goes, really? Like, really? You have to do that? You don't have to do that with me. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I don't know you. So why would I even let my guard down? Second of all, even with my white friends, who I love dearly, who I am, you know, close with, I don't know if there might be one, maybe one white friend who I can totally, fully, honestly be myself, where all the, the armor, all the guards are down. And that says something. Totally says something. And so what I want to do is create spaces for women of color to come together and just relax, to breathe, and to be totally ourselves, you know? And I talk about this a lot in um, in my communities. I mean, not so much on the podcast because I like to change it up in terms of, you know, teachings from spiritual Uh, schools of thought and all kinds of other, I guess, more visible incidents that happen. Um, But what I do is, you know, within my communities, I do talk about how women of color, when we come together, there's some kind of magic that happens. But I haven't had that experience in a really long time that I had forgotten how amazing it was until last weekend. And it was so, it was so great. So last weekend, and I was offering a sample class for meditation. And there were three women who signed up to take the class. It was just a half hour. And it was really great. Things that I don't think I would say in a mixed race class. I know that, you know, it probably sounds whatever, (laughs) reverse racist. I don't think that's possible because racism comes from a place of power and folks of color in power. Haha. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, but anyway, so so yeah, we were able to relax and laugh about it and and speak in a language that was ours. And when I say that, it's it's not so easy to explain, but it's it's a certain knowing. It's a certain lexicon, you know, like a certain way of speaking 
certain words, certain phrases, a lot of animated looks and knowing and nodding and movements of the body. Like when we get together and we talk and we share, there's a lot of body movement. There's a lot of laughter. I mean, I love it so freaking much. And that experience reminded me of my work and how important it is to create these spaces for women of color to be who we are, to just be, you know, and to work through our hurts and our traumas and our pains and sufferings in an environment where we can share in that pain, where we know that we won't be judged because we have experienced those very same things. We don't have to explain them, which is a bonus, right? Because I know the fact that I had to explain to this one white woman that I'm on alert around white people, that I watch how I speak and the way I speak and the phrases I use. That's a lot of energy. And to not have to do that because you're in a community of people who get you, that is, I mean, I'm going to say it a few times. It's magic. I mean, not going to call it anything else. Spectacular magic, maybe. (laughs) You know? And so I insist on creating spaces for people of color um, because we need to celebrate that. We need to be who we are. We need to step into our power that feels like it's been tamped down by so much conditioning that has told us we are less than, that we are not worthy. And I know these are things that, you know, other folks have been given as far as messages, but there's a little extra, you know, dig in the, you're not worthy. It's like, you're not worthy to be a human being. It's not, you're not worthy of a million dollars or you're not worthy of your perfect soulmate It's the context of you're not worthy to be human. And that carries a different kind of weight, different kind of message in the body. And so that is why it's important. And I realize as I'm talking that (laughs) I am doing the explaining, right? (laughs) Well, and and that's mostly because I know that my listeners are coming from different backgrounds, different races, different economic backgrounds, different paths, like locations on the spiritual path. Like maybe you're just a new person to the spiritual world. You took your first yoga class yesterday and you're like, whoa, that's what yoga is, you know, or maybe you're just somebody who's a social and political activist who's looking to stop going. And I don't mean stop permanently, but just to rest, to really rest and recharge and not feel this pressure of having to go, 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 go all the time. You know, it's interesting. um, There's this Instagram account I follow that a lot of people follow, and I'm sure you all have heard about it. And if you haven't, you need to go follow the bishop. Um, This account is called the Nap Ministry. And, oh my God, love, 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 love this account. So the basic philosophy of the NAP ministry is that rest 
is resistance. That for black and brown bodies to rest, we are fighting against capitalism. We are fighting white supremacy. We are fighting against the systems that oppress us. And so we rest. And rest can look like taking a nap. could be sleeping. Rest can look like, you know, flipping through a magazine. Rest could be reading a book for fun. (laughs) I have to put that little part in because sometimes I read not for fun, but I read for, you know, I don't know. I feel like reading's fun all the time. (laughs) So now I'm like, uh, (laughs) but you know, I know some people read, you know, books for research and then they count that as fun or, or rest. It's like, oh yeah, I read this, this heavy literary theory book. And that was my rest. Really? Hmm. Although I will say it is possible because I did it like years ago. I read um, this really awesome, at the time, awesome book on literary theory called Magical Urbanism by Mike Davis. I still remember the book. Loved it. And I read it on a beach in Bermuda because my partner at the time was at a conference that was over there. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, I am a nerd. I find this enjoyable sitting on the beach in Bermuda reading Mike Davis. <laughs> so in that respect, that book was a book for rest. But, you know, other books like The Subaltern Speaks, that maybe not so much a restful book. <laughs> but I digress. I want to just come back to what the NAP ministry is trying to encourage in all communities of color is that one way to fight the system of oppression is to not participate in it. You know, just step away and rest your body, rest your mind, rest your soul to understand that when we do participate, we feed into that machine that oppresses us. Now, of course, the machine is so huge that to totally opt out of it is not, it's not, I don't know if it's possible. I mean, maybe if you go off grid and find yourself on an island somewhere where nobody lives except you, maybe. But we have to work with what we've got, right? So we're in this cog, we're a cog in this big system, this big machine. And so what the Bishop of the Nap Ministry, I love her, love, love, love her. What she preaches is to rest, to step away from the machine, to say, hey, you know what? This cog is going out to lunch and you guys go ahead and try to keep going with your gears turning and your systems flowing. I'm going to go over here and lay down. And I love that. And what's happened at least today, as far as I saw in this account, is that there are some white folks in the wellness industry that are trying to co-opt that stuff and not give her any credit, which is typical. Typical move of the system. And it's just funny to read the comments. I love the people that follow the NET ministry because they're so they're so smart. They're such smart people. I love them. But it's true. It's like, you know, some of these... These people who are co-opting her message are like, yes, we whites need to rest too. And I'm like, uh, rest from what exactly? (laughs) 
So, um, so yeah, it's important just to circle back, right? It's important for communities of color to come together and heal and to be in each other's company and to be able to let our hair down and just relax and be ourselves and put down the masks, put down the armor and such beauty and magic emerges from that. You know, that, that meditation class I led, which was only a half hour was like the most fun, divine, magical moment I've had in a really long time. And what's funny is that we actually didn't meditate until the end. And I think the meditation itself was like three minutes because I had to end the class so that the next class could come in. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, you guys, at the end, I was like, we only had three minutes, but I thought it was really important for me to talk about meditation. And they were all so thankful and so like, yes, this was totally what I needed, you know, and it didn't matter that we meditated for three minutes. It was the community that we had created. It was the fellowship that we shared, the knowing, the shared knowing of being a woman of color in this country. And one of the, one of the people in the class, she said, even though the meditation was just three minutes, she was like, oh my God, I was crying. I was like, oh, really? I was like, wow, you know, that's some powerful stuff. It's powerful. She's like, I didn't even know that I had to cry. And I, and I was like, well, the body knows when it needs to release. And we go and go and go and go that we don't give the body a chance to release. We're moving all the time. And so when there's that moment of rest, that invitation to be still, Then the body's like, oh, finally, yes, I can release. And so whatever that woman was holding in, she was able to let it it out because she was given the space to just be. She was given the space to relax. She didn't have to perform a certain persona, a certain way of being. She just had to be. And what a gift that is for anybody to be able to exist in a space as you truly are and to have someone hold you in that space. We're conditioned to say, hey, you know what? I don't need anybody's help. I can do it myself. You know, I got this. But there's, and but that's, you know, yeah, true. Yes, true. I believe you. Yes, we all have the capacity to do great things, to do the things we want to do, but also, or and also, how amazing does it feel to be held in a way that you don't have to do anything? You just got to lay there or sit there and just be. You don't have to worry about what the next to-do thing is. You don't have to worry about having to rush off to the next meeting or errand or whatever. That someone is holding that space for you, holding a container, an energetic container for you to just exist. 
and to feel held is just, it's got to be like one of the best things, one of the best things. You know, I think about how when I was younger, I used to love just laying on somebody's lap and they would stroke my hair. And that was just like, ah, you know, that for me was one of the, the big gestures of being held. Now, I can't remember whose lap I sat in. Maybe it was my grandmother's. I don't know. <laughs> I just remember these moments very briefly, you know, just little flashes. And that feeling is just so incredible. And so for women of color, that's not an easy thing to to get. That's not an easy thing to to you know find to to be in because of how systemic the racism is here in this country. How we are perceived for one moment if we let down our guard, then we'll get burned. If for one moment we reveal who we really are. People aren't going to talk to us anymore. People aren't going to like us laughing, making jokes that we all get, <laughs> you know? I just, oh, I just think about that class this weekend, this past weekend, and how I want to create that for a lot of people all the time. All the time. Just want to create that that container, that energetic container for people to be, to release, to feel safe enough to release the wounds, to release, to cry, you know, releasing requires some level of safety, of being able to be vulnerable. And if you are called to be vulnerable, like you're not going to do it when you feel like everyone's going to make fun of you or they're going to jump on you or going to ask you, but what does that mean? Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you meant? Are you sure that's what you experienced? Maybe it was something else. Oh man, the gaslighting. Yeah, I can't even, can't even. So what I'm doing to create spaces of support and healing for women of color is I've put together this um, six-week coaching program. It's called Brown Girls Breathe. And I'm so, I'm so excited for it because I'm like, yes, I get to be in community with other women of color and we can talk freely. We can talk about like what's bothering us. We can talk about, you know, what's up with, you know, what's holding us back. You know, what is holding us back? <laughs> in my head just now, it was like the man, capital T, capital M. <laughs> But to be able to name the things that are holding us back, to look at them and figure out ways to release them, and then to call in support, to really step into to being our fullest, most radiating, radiating or radiant selves. I'm having trouble with birds today. I wonder why that is. Must be Mercury coming in retrograde. We are in the shadow part, pre-retrograde stage. <laughs> But anyway, so yes, and and it's called Brown Girls Breathing because we do a little bit of breath work too in the coaching calls. Um, so it's six weeks of coaching calls with some breath work and breath work is an amazing 
healing modality, which I talked about in previous episodes. But just really quick, it's a three-part breath where you inhale and exhale out of the mouth because that way you keep the head, the ego out of it. You're just focusing on mouth breathing and then it's inhale belly, inhale chest, exhale mouth. And that alone, you know, in a group setting with a facilitator is just super powerful. And I think I said this in the last episode, but I had a friend who did a session and she was like, I feel like God just went in and vacuumed my soul. (laughs) I love that. I feel like that should be a tagline somewhere or a t-shirt. But anyway, so that is, that is what is on my mind. It's, you know, the answer to the question of like, why just women of color? Well, because I want us to feel safe and I want us to be able to heal. And in order to heal, you have to feel safe to be vulnerable and let it all out without having to worry about trying to take care of somebody else's feelings, right? So that is where I'd like to close our episode today. I hope that if you are a woman of color that you will consider joining my pilot program for this, for the six week coaching for Brown Girls Breathing, because when things are new, there's so much potential for unexpected magic to pop up. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. So excited. Uh, Okay. So I'm going to close the episode with a poem from The World I Leave You. One of my favorite anthologies, if you've been listening to the show, I've been reading from this book quite frequently. Uh, The World I Leave You, Asian American Poets on Faith and Spirit. And so I'll just do the same thing I did with Hafez and just randomly flip through the um, poems. And the page has opened to the poem called Dear Puntan by Craig Santos Perez. Dear Puntan, as a pet gong, child, I never heard the creation story of our first mother, Fuuna, whose name translates as first, or our first father, Puntan, whose name translates as coconut sapling. Grandma always said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. First Tata, Father, this is my first prayer to you, full of questions. What was your father's name? Where is he buried? What song maps did he teach you before crossing ocean? When you planted the first coconut sapling here, when its roots pushed through husk into soil, did you feel belonging? You sacrificed your known world so that we will inherit shelter. Is this what it means to be a father? Man. Let me just digest that for a moment. (laughs) So yeah, so uh, Craig Santos Perez is from Guam. And yeah, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. 
some of those words, you're just going to have to look it up. But if you really want to know, just send me a, an email and I'll shoot you over the, a copy of the poem with some, with some words that you can look up. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We will be bringing the newness, the hotness, the grittiness to you next time. So we will close this episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. If you're feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade, grab my free seven-day meditative challenge, Spark Joy in Chaos, by signing up for my newsletter, which will be more light to your inbox. Go to suryagiyan.com slash subscribe.